I don't care if who's telling you it's okay. If you hear that small inner voice, that inner knowing your intuition, or even is just kind of questioning it, I, I really encourage you to get curious and explore what you think it is providing for you. And is that true? Hello, and welcome to the Intuitive Woman Podcast. My name is Tina Conroy. I am so grateful you are here. As a professional intuitive medium, Reiki master, and yoga teacher, my intention is to explore intuition so you can gain clarity, confidence, and trust in your inner wisdom. I honor your spiritual growth. Thank you for listening. Today on the podcast, do I have a treat for you guys? I have Meg Geiswhite. Meg is the author of her new book, Intoxicating Lies, One Woman's Journey to Freedom from Gray Area Drinking. Meg is an ordinary mom who found herself trapped in the mommy wine culture. She began her sober, curious journey in November of 2019, where her love of science led her to discover the real truth about alcohol and its seductive lies. I cannot wait to share this interview with you. I connected with Meg on Instagram and we had a fantastic chat and I have so much to speak to her about. And I know that you will love this interview. Welcome Meg to the Intuitive Woman Podcast. Oh, Tina, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. I feel just as excited as you do. <laughs> I have to say that whenever I reach out to somebody that I don't know, and I read their book, of course, I feel like I know you. And then when you said, yes, I'd be on the podcast, it's like this little kid, I'm jumping up and down like, oh my goodness, she's going to be on the podcast. So just, I am honored. I am honored to have you. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. Uh, well, my little girl is jumping up for joy too. And I'm so honored to be with you as well. So I, I can't wait to have this conversation. Fantastic. It's going to be great. Fantastic. Can't wait. So I always start with this question as this, this podcast is spiritual in nature. Take us back a little bit as a little girl, how you were brought up, spiritual, religious, both, neither. So... Um, as far as spirituality, I grew up in a Catholic home and, um, I will be honest with you as a very, the church that we went to was uh, very guilt based. So when I would lie to somebody as a little girl, and then I would fall off my bike and skin my knee, I thought God was punishing me. So I kind of lived in this sense of, I was the oldest in my family. I have a younger sister and brother. I was kind of the type A good girl, wanted to always please my parents and became kind of a caretaker of my brother and sister, which I talk about in the book. And really the, the, the way that we grew up was we moved quite a bit. My dad was in the oil industry. And so we moved a lot. My mom was an interior decorator. She loved buying houses and decorating them. And then when we done, and we lived in, put it this way, we lived in one neighborhood and one neighborhood, we lived in five houses. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, who does that? <laughs> we did. We, we built a house and we lived in it for one year and then moved, you know, we just were moving all the time. So I grew up really wanting to fit in and having to make friends very quickly 
My birthday is at the beginning of the year. I'm a Virgo. I'm a September 9th is my birthday. Uh, is my birthday, And so I would go to these new schools and try to make friends very quickly so that I had friends to invite to my birthday parties. And I was at Catholic schools primarily. And I just really grew up with a sense, again, of serve others over self, be a good girl, abide by the rules. And my my earliest impressions with alcohol really came in with my parents ran in a country club scene when we lived in Delaware. And there were, they were either going to a cocktail party or we were having a cocktail party at our house. And my earliest memories and impressions with alcohol, and I just say this for any mothers that are listening, because we don't, we don't even realize that our kids are subconsciously taking in the way that we drink with our friends and family. And so my mom would dress me up in my best Jessica McClintock dress, if you remember those. I do. I remember those (laughs) big 80 80 dresses. (laughs) You know, with the pilgrim like... The high, the high collars with like the puffy sleeves. Oh my goodness. You brought back a lot of memories. Yes. Um, And I would serve a d'oeuvres to their friends. Now my dad would just be getting off a plane and wanting to unwind and relax. My mom had three kids all by herself all day. And so it was very much of this scene of seeing adults wanting to connect, have fun, unwind, relax. And that, that was just really what I thought alcohol did and was good for. And um, that was being etched in at a very early age. Like I said, we moved a lot and I wanted to fit in. And so my very first drinking experience was in the eighth grade where I was in a new school and I wanted to fit in with the popular girls. And I had a slumber party and they came over and asked if we could raid my parents' liquor cabinet, which I said, sure, because I wanted to fit in. And we did shots of peach schnapps, which I know just makes my stomach curl. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I had my very first hangover and high school drinking was very much the same, which was, you know, just a a way of trying to fit in and social lubricant. In college, my freshman year, I was drinking heavily at a keg party on campus and got myself into a situation with um, a young man and I don't know if there's a trigger warning here, but I'm not going to get into the details. It is in the book, but I was unfortunately sexually assaulted. And what happened as a result, and I didn't even realize it at the time, is I had no control over my body. And therefore, I wanted to control everything in my life thereafter as a trauma response. I was, there were some other stories in the book of feeling not good enough at a young age, not smart enough. Now, not having feeling like I was in control of my body, I was going into this over-functioning trauma response. And after college, you would think I would have learned my lesson from that incident, but I got myself into another heavy drinking night with somebody I was dating and I was day raped. And so it just catapulted me into this intoxicating lie of our hustle culture. I got into sales. I really felt like I was not worthy and good enough. And so the sales culture of I am as good as my last rankings, I am what I produce, really started giving me this self-worth and approval. Now I had graduated with a lot of student loans. And so 
I got into modeling and was starting to get approval and validation on my appearance. And I actually was the poster child for the alcohol industry. I was the Budweiser girl, the Jägermeister girl. <laughs> Looking back, you know, I didn't even know at the time what I was doing. I just needed the money and it was good money. And I thought it was fun and funny. And I really was, in hindsight, objectifying my body in a way for approval and worth. You know, at the time, I just couldn't see it. I was young and just didn't really know what I was doing other than just trying to make my bills. And so what ended up happening is I fell into beauty medical sales. I got into aesthetics and started really kind of selling women on the notion that not only can you do it all, but you can look perfect while you're doing <sighs> it, you know, and really fell into that for a while. Um and then it it really um, was a time of work hard, play hard. And at these work functions, there was a lot of alcohol. And it was literally frowned upon if you didn't go to the bar. And it it was like part of kind of like a rite of passage. And so I met my husband in the industry and we got married. And I would say that, you know, alcohol was at the center of our relationship. We love to entertain, have a good time. And I talk about this in the book and later chapters that we both quit drinking. He, I quit and then he quit a couple of months after me. Um, and we had to find a new rhythm and a new connection in our marriage. And that's a whole nother story. But back to where I was in my, in my, my story is that, um, I really fell into, um, this just outward gaze of looking outside of myself for my worth and who I was. And I think because I was telling myself the intoxicating lies that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I need to control everything in my life, not realizing that I was in a trauma response, I really started to disassociate with knowing who I was, what my needs were, we all have as women, especially that intuition, it was starting to be corroded and disconnected by alcohol. I then fell into the mommy wine culture where I sucked down unknowingly the lies that it was a solution to my parenting challenges. It was this club that allowed me the permission to slip to say, I'm exhausted. You know, I was working in aesthetic sales, lots of long hours. And I was tired coming home, taking care of my kids and my family. And I remember my therapist asking me at the time, what are your needs? And I just stared blankly. I had no idea what I, what my needs were. And she said, do you feel dutiful yet dead? And it was like the first time I had felt seen. I was like, that's ex exactly how I feel. And I had then three back-to-back -back life incidents, which I touch upon in the book, which really catapulted my drinking kind of from that social weekend, mommy, you know, at play dates or on the weekends, whatever, to a daily, nightly habit where it was my self-care. It was the way that I was turning off the chatter at night, the, the escape of I, I just, it really was my self-care. It's all I can say. And I just didn't know any better at the time. And um, a different therapist, <laughs> um, I 
had talked to, I'd finally gotten the courage to tell her, I said, you know, I think I may have a drinking problem. I feel in this stuck in this detox to retox loop, even though I'm a winning awards at work, my kids are thriving. My marriage is doing really well. I am waking up with shame and guilt and regret, and I'm beating myself up every day. And then I have the kale salad and the green juice and I do the strenuous workout and I I make myself believe I'm in control. I'll bike 20, sometimes 30 miles. And I'm like, see, I don't have a problem. And then as soon as the sun sets and I've taken care of everybody and I, I couldn't see it at the time, I didn't know, you know, I'd taken care of everyone else. I would fall right back into that nightly wine that I earned it. I deserved it. And everything is modeled to us in this world and says, you know, if life is tough, have a drink. I mean, we really fell into that notion during the pandemic. Oh. It was like, have a quarantini. Absolutely. I mean, that was kind of where my my story kind of catapulted. It was the, you know, I want to, of course, I want to blame everybody but myself. But uh, that was when it really took off from 2020, March yes. 2020 on. But yeah, go ahead. Everything well, you're saying, you're I'm alone. like nodding here going, yep. Yes, yes. <laughs> but drinking went up 41% in women during the pandemic because we were juggling the home, homeschooling our kids, trying to do our own work online. It was just too much. And then everything and everywhere we turned, you know, was have a drink to deal with the stress. And we started normalizing day drinking, which was really scary. Um, and addiction really ramped up during that time. So you're not alone. I, most of my friends said that their drinking really amped up during that time. But um, so back to this therapist, she said to me, you know, no, I don't think you have a drinking problem. I think you're just thinking about it too much. And her ill advice kept my gray area of drinking going for two more years. And so I was confused. I would go to workouts and the the spin instructor would say, sweat out the toxins. It's okay if you're hungover, you know, and I think, okay, I guess this is normal. Everybody else feels like I do. And then I would go to yoga and it would be yoga and champagne, or I would go to the healthcare providers like, well, you know, one or two glasses isn't so bad. And it was permission slip after permission slip. But my inner knowing that small voice inside was pleading with me and saying, this is not serving us. Do something about this. And this internal struggle was driving me bananas. It was maddening Groundhog's Day of the detox to retox loop. And I guess I never really hit a rock bottom. I never had external consequences. But what scared me for somebody who always wanted to be in control is when I no longer wanted my kids to do sports in the evenings so that I could come home to my rewarding glass of wine. That scared me. And so I knew that it was starting to slowly take control of me. This is an insidious way that alcohol works. It slowly creeps up. And the next thing you know, you're like, whoa, how did I get to this place? And um, so I listened to that inner knowing and I clicked on an ad for a 21-day reset. And I thought, oh, I'll just get a few tools under my tool belt. I'll go back to being a so-called normal drinker. And I had no idea about the truth about alcohol, but being in pharmaceutical sales, once I started learning the truth of what it actually is, it was like the veil started to come down and I started to get really curious, like, wait, why am I using a depressant to celebrate? 
why am I eating healthy all day and then ingesting a toxin that's linked to seven to eight types of cancer? Why am I increasing my anxiety and depression when I think it's a reward? How is this a reward when I'm waking up at 3 a.m. with anxiety? Like I just started asking myself all these questions and I had never felt better. My skin started to improve. My sleep got better. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this for another 90 days and just see what happens. And I remember my husband was like, is this a forever thing? Like, oh, are we doing this forever? forever I was question. like, I don't the forever question. You know, the spouse is like, <laughs> is this forever? And I said, you know, I don't know. I just know that I've never felt so good. And so that fog that I had every day was starting to lift. And the magic and beauty that we can get into in a little bit was starting to appear. And I was like, oh, what is this? And really, I just started journaling every day because I'm in sales, I started listening to podcasts. I'm a podcast junkie. And I would go back to the group of women that I was with and tell them everything I was learning, everything I was reading and quit lit, listening to on podcasts, journaling, my own inner knowing was starting to show up and was giving me all this curiosity and answers. And, and I was reading to them my journal and they said, Meg, you've got to write a book. So there's so many, there's so many beautiful stories on the spectrum of gray area drinking. And we need stories and on in every shade because we need to see ourselves in these stories. So we can say, oh, that's me. I need to get curious about my relationship with alcohol and explore it. And curiosity is and awareness is just so key as the very first step on this journey. So that's what, how the book came to fruition. And, um, and it just, I just kept on going and we can dive into more details about that. Well, we, we, and I'm speaking for we, and so many people that are listening and tuning in. And for some people that are tuning in, they may never have heard the term gray area drinking. So we'll, we'll talk to that, but I want to thank you because when I, and thank you for sharing everything that you did so vulnerable and, and so honest and pure and I want to get into the whole spirituality part of it as well. But your book, it was like you were speaking to me. There was finally a time that I was reading something that I said, I can relate to this. And our stories are different in our work and where we live and our children and so forth. My children are much older. They're adult children. But it all made sense. And I think the question that keeps coming up even now, and you know, in a few days, I'm going to hit my 90 day milestone. So yay for me. I said, I always say I'm going to have my own party. Um, You should. I I will. I will. I'll, I'll I'll invite you. (laughs) We have to, we have to, Uh, you know, and that's the other thing. We'll talk a little bit about that. Sometimes like who's celebrating them with you. Right. So unless you have a community or other people, people don't really get it. Um, Many people that I've spoken to, they have no idea what I'm talking about, gray area drinking. And it doesn't look the same to everybody in this, these these shades of gray. But I want to yeah. go back a little bit because that inner, I think the thing that really connected with me and what resonated with me, so many things, but one of the things that stands out is when I read your book is that inner, right? That inner speaking, that inner talk, that inner chatter. And I, that was it for me. It was that it wasn't anything really on the outside. I was doing everything. And and for me, I had this 
you know, double whammy, right? I'm in the wellness industry. I'm an, I'm an intuitive medium. I'm doing Reiki all day. I'm giving and giving and teaching yoga and giving and giving and giving and healing and healing and healing. And then I deserve, I would come home and I deserve this because I give all day, you know, and I had the inner voice. My intuition is, is really pumped up. And I had Uh a lot, a lot of, a lot, a lot of talks with my angels and a lot of talks with my spirit guides and, and my masters and my guardians and call them all in. And I knew, and I knew, and I just would, I know, I know, I know. And thank goodness I finally listened because I was in my uh-huh. own way, but that's what resonated uh-huh. with me the most on your book, because it wasn't what it looked like on the outside. On the outside, I was, I was killing it. I was crushing it. Right. It was good. I was yep. healing one soul at a time. Everything was good. I was, but it was the inner, inner, oh, the inner, th- that's the part I feel so free. I feel so yes. free. Yes. It's that inner voice that's pleading with you because it's maddening when it's stuck in this gray area of drinking. And so many gray area drinkers have are high functioning and doing and excelling and to the outside world look like nothing is wrong. And in fact, everything's going right. But it's this silent internal struggle that people can't see and sometimes can't even understand because wait, you have everything going for you. You look like you have it all, but that internal struggle is so real and so maddening and alcohol was corroding and disconnecting me from that voice, from that little girl within the inner knowing, the intuition, they're all one to me. Exactly. And yeah. And she was like, please, this is not serving us. What are we doing? And thank God I listened to her because my therapist was telling me I was okay. My wellness instructors were telling me I was fine, that it was normal. This is why gray area drinking is such a confusing space because there aren't any rock bottoms. There aren't any external consequences usually. And Jolene Park, who did a TED talk on gray area drinking and really kind of broke this term into the space. Now it's been in the medical literature for over a decade, and it really comes from the nutritional um, dietary guidelines. But what it is, and I love Jolene Park's description of it, is you have on one end, I'm just going to use an example, like Aunt Jane, who has a glass of wine at a wedding to toast, you know, the, the marriage. She may not even finish the glass. She might have a glass of champagne on her birthday, could care less. Does she finish it? Probably not. She could truly take it or leave it with her two drinks a year. Okay, so she's at one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is 10% of the population who needs a medical detox when they quit drinking. So they are physically, psychologically dependent upon alcohol and would need a medical detox. Those are not the two people I'm talking about. Everything in between those two extremes is gray area drinking. This is a vast, wide category on the alcohol use disorder spectrum. It it has a lot of people in it, but it is becoming an epidemic for women in particular, especially after what we talked about with the pandemic. And so if we don't start talking about this space, more and more people are becoming trapped in it because society and TV and commercials and the mommy wine culture, everyone's saying, no, that's normal. That's okay. And it's 
and it's not. No amount of alcohol is safe. And so we have to, a lot of times we don't want to hear the truth, but we have to start talking about the truth. And that's why my book is called Intoxicating Lies, because I have people say to me, well, I don't really want to hear the truth. But if you don't talk about the truth of what it truly is, you will stay in a deprivation mindset with it. And I did. I drank 15 months and I have that story in my book because I was still stuck after 15 months of being alcohol free in that deprivation mindset where just like you said, it was either being used as a reward or a crutch. And in my mind during the pandemic, I hit an effort moment and I used it as a crutch. But that data point, that sidestep actually propelled me to never want to use it again because it made me realize that it is neither a reward nor a crutch. I had to go through that moment to for it to finally sink in. Like you said, you knew as a wellness instructor, as a healer, as all those that you knew, but you have to kind of go through this journey in order to get to that space of saying, oh, now I get it, you know, and it clicks. It finally clicks, yeah, right? Thank, thank goodness. And, you know, the thing about it, it, we speak a lot and I speak a lot about authenticity, you know, being authentic mm-hmm. and your true self, your true self and what's your true self. So your inner self, you know, I call we say the same words, intuition. I call it she, you know, that, that voice. And yes. I have journaled for years and you'll laugh at this, but, you know, every journal entry was, please help me. I know I can do this. I can do this, or I'm doing this, or I'm not going to drink for five days or six days, or I'm not going to drink on the week, on the weekdays, but I'll work. And then every full moon, you know, every full moon, what am I releasing? I'm, you know, and everyone could be laughing at this, but you know, we have the full moons and the new moons and I'm really big on that. So on the full moons, I'm writing down my intentions. What am I writing down? The same thing. What am I burning? The same thing. And then the new moon, oh, new beginnings. What am I doing? And it was this authenticity. And then I felt like, I'm going crazy internally. Again, I looked normal on the outside. I'm doing what everybody else is doing. I'm going to, you know, happy hours. I have a party. I go to the beach every weekend, you know, every vacation. I have adult kids. We all drink together and hang out. I mean, it was all just normal. I was normal and I didn't feel normal inside. I felt very I think for me, I felt like a phony. It started to feel Uh like a phony. I felt fake. I felt that I wasn't being true to myself. Like I would look in the Uh mirror and say, you're a Reiki healer. You're a well, like you had a bottle of wine last night. And then I would say, oh, it's only a bottle of wine. It's about three glasses, right? Like that's okay. And I would get up and function Uh and I'd be fine. And, you know, even people very, very close to me would say, well, how much were you drinking? And then I get now, is it forever? And, you know, it's so I just, I, it's such a difficult journey of navigating and I'm still relatively new on it, but it's, it's, I feel free. You know, I pick a word every year and last year, my year was last year before this year was alignment. Why? And I didn't do anything this year. I turned 55 and the number five for numerology is change. So I had two of them. So I'm thinking this is it. And I, my birthday is December 28th. So it's right before that new year. And I said to myself, this is it. 55. We got a double five. It's change. And then my colleague, she's a beautiful healer in her own right. She creates these rocks and she puts them in a basket every year at the end of the year. And everyone puts their hand in every year. I pill a rock. 
and I pulled freedom. And I said, that's my word. And that word, I just got chills. That word is how I feel. I feel free. I feel free from the bondage. I feel free from the labels. And I have never, I I can honestly say this. I have never felt better in my life. I have never felt happier in my life. And I I can't even explain it to me. I know you understand it, but I I feel like I want to jump around and I only explain it so much. This little teeny piece of me, because everyone else doesn't really get it. They're like waiting for me to, well, you're going to, you're going to have a drink, right? Or you're, when is it forever? My mom's even like, are you going to drink at your kid's wedding? I'm like, really? They're, they're not even (laughs) engaged yet. Like, (laughs) (laughs) well, and people want, to know that their drinking is okay. Mm-hmm. So they want you to be along with them and, and you're doing something where you're going against the masses. And, and so we know in the spirituality, right. Is like, we're okay with being in the minority sometimes with our thought processes, but it really is you being a role model and choosing differently when the mirror around them and the world around them is telling them that this is normal and okay. And, I mean, honestly, you know, it's a highly addictive drug. And what bothers me the most is the stigma that when you decide to get sober curious or do something, people, the first thing they say to me is, oh, did you have a drinking problem? Is your, it, like, like I had a problem when it's the problem, mm. like it is the problem, not me. And so um, we have to shift that thinking and you are choosing that paradigm shift. Right. And so people are like, wait, 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 what are you doing? I'm not used to seeing this. And so kudos for you. And that is why you should celebrate your 90 days and your one day and your thousand day and all of the days, because you are really building that, that inner knowing and connection and deeper spirituality that alcohol disconnects and corrodes you from. And the programming, and I kind of think of it as like the matrix sometimes, like it's almost like I talk about in the machine, I call it the machine in the book, the vortex of, of wanting to suck you in, of doing more and looking like everybody else and doing what the world tells you. And I think this is where the demise for women happens is that we grow up, and this is why my book starts this way with the intoxicating lies we tell ourselves that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, who am I to write a book? Who am I to fulfill my dreams, right? We all have that inner voice, that inner critic. And it's confusing for, especially for women, when it's, you're too aggressive, you're too much, you're too shy, you're too, you know, and you're like, wait a second, what am I? Then we grew up in the time of brown brownies and Girl Scouts, where it's serve others over self, be the good girl, serve, don't have needs. So you further disconnect from yourself and you look outward again. Then you get this permission slip to drink because then it says it's okay that you're exhausted by all this, which you are. It's the mental load and the invisible labor, especially as a mother. And everything around you is telling you it's okay. And, and you, and it's disconnecting you even more until you listen to that small inner voice. So I don't care if who's telling you it's okay. If you hear that small inner voice, that inner knowing your intuition, or even is just kind of questioning it. I, I really encourage you to get curious and explore what you think it is providing for you. And is that true? Oh, 
you just nailed it. That is so, it is, it's just perfect in every way that you said that, because if it's not okay for you, it doesn't matter when you put your head on the pillow, when you wake up in the morning, when you look in the mirror, if you close your eyes and you, you count your breath and you connect to yourself and your inner self, and you don't feel aligned, centered, whatever word you want to use, that little girl, that knowingness, it's worth it. It's worth it for you to make that change because, and then you'll do, you know what? And then once you make that decision and it's not an easy decision to come to, and we go through the data points and we have ups and downs, and I don't ever believe in failure. It's all an experiment. This whole life is an experiment. And we just, you know, take one step at a time. And then, because what would happen to me is we go, well, how will I get through that party? Well, I'll wait till that party's over. I'll wait till this, right? I'll wait till that holiday's over, you know, or I'll wait for this. There's never going to be never a good, good time. time. There's right. never a good time. It's like no. a diet. There's never a good time. You just got to do, got to be healthy. Uh, but that's it. It's that inner knowing. I wanted to share with you my new favorite beverage. And my new favorite beverage is Moment. Drink your moment. It's meditation, literally in a can. If you've paid attention by dry January, I was looking for something else and I found it. I absolutely love this. And when I find things I love, I want to share it with you. It is a non-caffeinated, low-calorie wellness drink and it replaces my afternoon cup of green tea or a cup of coffee, or if you're refraining from alcohol or you're looking at your moderation, it is just simply delicious. And I wanted to share it with you. It's a powerhouse of beautiful amazing ingredients and adaptogens. And it comes in so many different flavors. So go ahead, drink your moment. I'll leave all the information below and have a beautiful day. I want to roll back a little bit. I would love to share with the listeners um, the five most intoxicating lies that you go over in the book. Yeah. So the, the first one is the one that you and I I, and I hear this the most is I deserve a drink. Mm, and, you know, that is the most intoxicating lie, especially for women, women in particular, you know, we are, we're just overwhelmed. And so, um, again, we have to ask ourselves when we're too tired to play with our kids on the playground, because of the one or bottle of of wine the night before, is it really rewarding us? I mean, we really have to start to question that. Um, The second one is just what we just spoke about. You don't have a drinking problem. You look, you drink just like I do. You're, you, (laughs) you're fine. You're (laughs) fine. (laughs) Um, The third one, which we touched on too, is this thought of, it's kind of the drinking amnesia or the, like you said, you have to go through the moderation, trying moderation because you believe that it is still providing something for you. So the third lie is I can control my drinking. So we put these, I'll only do the weekends. I'll only drink hard liquor. I'll only drink the, you know, whatever. It's like all these things. And it becomes, like you said, it takes away the freedom. It's so much thinking and decision-making it's the decision fatigue that happens and it steals your freedom. There's just no freedom in moderation. I mean, you constantly have to have the awareness of like how much you're drinking. Are you measuring your drinks? And it just, I'm exhausted just listening to you. I I get it. It's (laughs) I've been there. (laughs) 
right? We have to go through that data point too. Um, my greatest fear, which is the fourth one, which is I would be boring. Sober is boring. And um, I can tell you that I have had more joy, more magic, more freedom, like you said, awakened living, true emotional freedom. My body, I am so in tuned now with my body. I can feel my hell yeses and my hell no's like instantly. Whereas when I was kind of fogged out a little bit each day with like a slate hangover, like you said, I could go to work and I could function, but I was just a little shade of gray every day. Um, I just, I wasn't living into my fullest potential of what I was put on here for this earth. I would have never been able to write a book. I have a deeper relationship with everybody in my life. I've gotten rid of things that don't serve me. I've learned how to create boundaries. I was a, I had no boundaries before this journey. I know what my needs are. I'm constantly checking in with myself. Like, is this serving me? Is this protecting my energy? Am I finding the joy and the beauty in the day? You know, and it just is this, I have chills now. Like, it's like this, this connection to this deeper spirituality that I didn't have when I was drinking. And I wasn't really reading or writing when I was drinking. Mm -hmm. My creativity has gone through the roof since I quit drinking. And I am so grateful for that because I have a part in the book where I talk about go back to when you were a little girl and what brought you joy and finding your fun self again. She's already in there. You don't have to create her. She's already there. Just she needs to be dusted off by all this cultural beliefs and societal conditioning. And when you think back to when you were little, what you loved to, I loved to paint, ride my bike and play in nature. And now when I ride my bike in nature, go for walks in nature, that little girl comes alive and she's looking for the beauty in the day. I just recently took a watercolors class and I thought, oh my God, I can't believe I signed up for this. It's two hours every Monday. I don't have time. And I would get in there and I would immerse myself in those watercolors and the paint and my to-dos my to-do list would go away. All the stress would go away. And that little girl would come alive and she's, she would be jumping for joy. Like this is so much fun. And I did it with my girlfriend and she's not a, a big drinker, but we, we connected on a deeper level than going to a bar and having a drink. You know, we had so much fun. We would giggle at trying to draw these pitchers and kettles and things that the the teacher had us try to draw. We're not draw or, you know, we just, we thought we were going to go to just to paint. But my point is, is that, th- that it's just reconnecting with what you love to do when you were younger. And there's so much more joy on the other side of alcohol, but we are modeled that this is the way that you, the only way you can have fun and it's BS. Yeah. Um, and then the last lie in, is the mommy wine culture. Um, you know, I have compassion for women who are stuck in this space. I was stuck in there for a long time, but what we have to know is that when we post these memes, like behind every great mom is a bottle of wine. And when my kids whine, I whine, we are making each other sick and we don't even know it. We think it's funny and it's not. And 
women are getting addicted at an alarming rate. And we are modeling to our kids that when life is really challenging, which it always will be, that you are to pad yourself with wine, that they are a burden. And I talked about it in my book. I caught my daughter vaping. And here I am preaching to her to not do an addictive substance like vaping. And here I am having a glass of wine. Doesn't even make sense. So we have to think about what are we modeling to our kids, our grandkids? Who do we want to show up as to them in their life? And I can tell you that when my children told me, mom, you have so much more patience since you quit drinking. That is a huge gift in and of itself. Oh, beautiful. This entire journey has given me so many gifts. So those are the lies. And then the book ends with the truth of who you are and the freedom that comes with it. Yeah. The freedom's a big thing. You know, it's so interesting because, you know, you're, you're speaking and I'm thinking of like the mommy wine culture and I was, um, what was your drink of choice? Mine was Chardonnay. Mine was Merlot. Okay. So it was wine. Um, <laughs> it yep. really was wine. So I, yep. I, you know, I joke around a lot or used to, you know, you'd see like Halloween has become a big thing, you know, Halloween and, and, and I did it too. My kids were younger, you know, what's in those cups, what's in those silo cups or those sippy cups for the, for the mommies and the daddies. And, and it was interesting that this past Halloween, which I wasn't alcohol free, but it's just a common given, you know, the mom and dads are coming up with the little kids and they are having their, you know, to go cups. And yeah. I'm like, they're not, that's not, you know, we know what's in the to-go cup, right? And it's everywhere, right. you know, it's at the beach and it's, it's it could be everywhere, but it becomes part of that culture. And, you know, I remember too, you know, I used to joke around with one of my friends and I would say, you know, she'd say, what are you doing tonight? I was like, oh, my friend is over. Her name is Chardonnay, you know? And it was like this ha-ha joke, but it became, right. it became, obviously I fell into the, I deserve it. I work so hard, you know, I work so hard and I deserve it. And like, I help people all day long. And then it was also became the cycle or the, um, but I, but then again, I drank when I was happy. I drank when I was bored. I drank when I deserved it. Right. It was all of it. Um, but mm -hmm. you're right. We fall into that cycle. And then with children, my children are much older. And so this is sort of a new journey. So they're 25 and 29. So we have, you know, adults, right? They're adulting and um, right. they have their own journey with, with it. But it was the first vacation I went away um, sober, alcohol-free. So I went away with them not that long ago. And I think everybody was sort of like waiting, you know, we're in Epcot, which what do you do in Epcot? Drink around the world, you know, that's what you do. Right. And um but you're interesting about the padding too, like padding yourself when things go wrong or bad. And, and I have to tell you, like right now, my dad is ill. And so I'm back and forth to visiting. And this is when I really dig deep into my, my journey and my alcohol-free journey and putting myself first because, you know, everyone else, siblings are like, oh, I can't wait to go home to have that glass of wine where it's been a really hard day. And it's the padding of myself and just getting more bricks under the foundation and hunkering in. And I'm the same way on the books. I'm reading your book again, um, podcasts, journaling and deep into my spiritual practice. Cause this is a heavy time. Right. And so it's, yeah. it's not allowing that. I hear that voice, you know, I hear that little bit of, well, you've done so well and you're going through a really hard time. You know, dad's not feeling dad's sick and you've been back and forth between the hospital. I'm like, 
but it's not going to make anything better. And then the voice goes away. But it's, but what you're saying is so true that the padding of ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And then what Uh are we, what are we showing our children and what are we showing them? And so that's so important. So important. I say it's like earth school. We don't have an earth school that teaches and models two kids at an, at a young age, man, when life gets hard and when someone bullies you or you don't feel like you fit in, we we don't teach them how to trust themselves, right? It's always this outward gaze. It's always this something outside of ourselves to, to distract or take care of ourselves or pat ourselves. You should always be happy. You should never feel bad. That is, that is not true. We, we, it is in the pain and in these hard feelings that we actually are, these spiritual lessons show up and they're there to either reveal something that hasn't been healed within us or teach us something that we still need more awareness and growth on. And we are the forever student, always arriving, always learning. So this journey never ends. This heart work never ends. But I realized I was sitting down to have a glass of wine, like you said, for 20 minutes of relief, because it does, it gives you 20 minute buzz. But then you're chasing that buzz for the rest of the night, you're never going to get that feeling back. And what do we say? Oh, I don't have enough time in my day. But you sit there and suck down glass after glass. When I could have gone to what I do now is I have a little meditation area in front of a window in my bedroom. I have my intention journal. I dump all of the hard, yucky feelings into the intention journal. And then I take deep breaths and I look out that window at the beauty in the day, the the nature that is there always. I think nature is one of our greatest teachers and the feelings pass the feelings and the effort moment and the toughness. And guess what? I'm calm. I'm, I'm, I'm able to, you're able then to take better care of your dad because you're not hungover. You're not feeling like crap. You can clearly think things through, think things through with his medications or whatever is needed for him. Right. When we go to this easy staples button of food, shopping, work, alcohol, whatever your thing is, it's just this soothing that we haven't been taught of how to regulate our nervous systems. We just aren't modeled it. Everything is like an instant gratification. That's why the machine, the vortex of society keeps trying to suck you back in. It's why we're so addicted on our phones because it's this quick dopamine hit. It's an instant gratification. And the harder thing is to pre-plan, pre-decide, play the movie forward. But we know ultimately when we do that with our food, with alcohol, with whatever it is, it will serve us better. We just have to like step back for a minute. I did it the other night with food. I I came home. I was exhausted. It's the halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I put in pizza into the oven. I didn't want to cook. I ate this huge dessert and I felt like I had a hangover that night. My stomach hurt. I was lethargic. I felt kind of nauseous. And I was like, you just did what you did with alcohol, with food. In the moment you wanted a quick fix, you wanted comfort and soothing. And I'm not saying I'm in like, I, I do like an occasional sweet. Okay. So like, I'm not saying never, but the way that I ate and how much I ate was to soothe myself instantly versus saying, wait a second, am I gonna, is this going to make me feel good? No, this is actually going to make me feel awful right. later. Right. 
but we don't, we, we're just used to this instant gratification. You know, it just is the society that we live in and what we've been modeled. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we constantly want to, I mean, nobody wants to really feel the feel. They, there's this whole other dialogue of feel it and go through the trauma and, and, you know, do all these things. But then when it gets too intense or real life thing happens, you know, God forbid, you know, like loss of job, you know, the, the big three or four, right. It's like, well, yeah. then it's a permission. I mean, it's always like the joke, right? Like the Irish wake I and mean, everyone's drinking and totally, you know, you know, I'm not Irish, but married to one, but you know, that's the thing. There's all these symbols and everything's around to make everything better. And so, you know, it's, is it making it better? No, it's not. But we're all sucked into thinking it does. It's going to help. It's going to do all the things that it does. Um, I could talk to you forever. And I'm just like, there's so many things I want to speak about. I guess we touched upon so much, but I do want to touch a little bit upon, and there, there's so much more we could talk, but you know, the magic, let's talk about yeah. the magic. And you, you obviously have spoke about it, but the magic today, um, Meg gets up in the morning and take us through, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of your personal spiritual practice and, and your journey and the magic of today, what today looks like for you. Well, my favorite days are the days I can get outside when the weather will allow it and I can go for a walk and really process my emotions. And I encourage to turn off the podcast and just listen to nature and listen to your, your voice. We have to slow down to do so. So that also will look like me sitting in meditation. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 20 minutes. It's whatever I have time for that day, but just listening to what my body, mind, and spirit are telling me and honoring it. Some days I have to have a gentle day where I don't do anything. My body is exhausted and maybe just went through one of the big things you mentioned and I just have to honor it and sit with the grief and sit in the pain and just be with it and know that it is growing and changing me into, we're already perfect and whole, but really kind of shedding some of the things that weren't serving me. So some of the, some of the coping skills and mechanisms that helped me throughout my life may not be serving me in the right way. And it's shedding those things. So, um, I love, I collect heart rocks. And so me too. I, I love that. I, oh, I love them. And so I look for hearts too. I see them in like food. I see them in, um, in the gravel. So it's just like, look, Looking for that joy and that magic. I get angel numbers all the time. Mine are one, one, one. I've been getting a lot of threes lately and nines. Um, that's been coming up, but I take pictures of them. So I take a picture of the beauty of the day. If you follow me on Instagram, it's intoxicating lies book. And I usually post find the beauty in the day. So it could be a sunset, a leaf, a flower, anything. And it's really when we savor it by taking a picture, it shifts something in our mind to an attitude of gratitude. And that gratitude brings us joy. And then I look for these hearts and, um, it's a way of the universe telling me that I'm being loved and held when I feel uncertain. So when I feel scared and fearful and uncertain, I get out into nature and then it, all the signs show up like, my spirit animal will pop out, which is a rabbit or 
one day I was biking along the canal, the CND canal in the Chesapeake and dolphins started jumping out. Oh, There's wow. no dolphins in the canal, but it was one of those days where I went down there with all the burden, all the worry, all the fear, all the anxiety. And I bring it to mother nature. And she's like, here's all the love, all the certainty, all the magic that you are being held. And so I take pictures of my angel numbers on my phone, or if I see them on license plates, or I keep the receipts that have them on there because they're constantly saying, we've got your back. You're okay. You're on the right path. And I think if we could just slow down enough to see these things, they're all around us, but we're so busy and we're so distracted. And that is where the magic is to me at least, but I never saw it when I was drinking. I love that. I love that. You know, you reminded me of something I share with my sister not that long ago. And it'll it'll make complete sense to you. And it'll, it'll make a lot of sense to many people listening. Um, and you said it so eloquently and how you said it, the magic and the, the rocks and the signs. And I call it from our spirit team, our, in our own spirit. They're all around yes. us. When mm-hmm. I first practiced yoga many years ago, so before I was actually teaching yoga, I don't even know the year, 2005, six, I don't know. I remember when I first practiced and I started really practicing and I came out of Shavasana and I remember noticing that the grass was greener and the sky was bluer and the twigs. I mean, everything changed. It was like that scene in Wizard of Oz where it's black and white and then it's color. And I'll never forget that moment. I was pretty young. I started my journey. My kids, I was 29 with two kids at, at that point. And I remember just going, wow. And it was just like this opening of this world that everything looked different and nothing had changed. I had done a 75 minute yoga class. I had opened my eyes out of Shavasana, but everything shifted. Nothing changed, but everything shifted. Right. And I was explaining this to my sister. I was saying, because she's, she's a yogi as well. And I said, do you remember that? And she said, I do. And I said, that's what it feels like times a hundred without drinking. And she went, oh, I get it. I get it. It's like everything is technicolor. Everything is special. Yes. And I, you know, and I, I'm getting chills as I say this because only the people can really, you know, I'd like, you know, when you have so much to say and you can only say it in so many <laughs> words, that's how I feel. Everything yeah. is special. Everything is technicolor. Everything has depth. Everything has, has beauty. Uh, my friendships, the, my quality, my, my attention, all of it. So thank you, Meg, because you really have shared those beautiful things of there's so much probably more, but the magic that you've found and keep finding it will, someone's going to listen to this and they're going to say, I want that magic and it's possible for me. And that's, I think that's what we bring forth, right? It's that if I can do it, you can do it. And it's possible for you to feel the magic as well. It's all waiting for us and it is, you're worth it. And just get curious and start exploring it because it's all waiting there for you. And that little girl within, she's waiting for you to rescue her as well from it. So love it. Love it. Well, I I hate to end this conversation. We're going to have to have you back. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, please, I will leave all the information below and go run do what you can go find the book, buy the book, read the book. It's amazing, everybody. And um, Meg, where can everybody find you? 
Oh, thanks. Well, you can find Intoxicating Lies, um, One Woman's Journey to Freedom from Gray Area Drinking, anywhere books are sold. And I primarily am on Instagram, like I said, at Intoxicating Lies book, all one word. But that links to Facebook, which is, again, Intoxicating Lies, um, One Woman's Journey to Freedom from Gray Area Drinking. So thank you so much for having me. I could talk to you for hours, too, and I would love to come back. Absolutely. We'll, we'll absolutely do that. So thank you so much for shining your light and sharing with us and have a beautiful day. Thank you. You too. Namaste.